I'm Simon Hicks. I'm Professor of European and Comparative Politics in the LSE Government Department, also Head of Department here. Welcome to what must be the first event of the academic year at the LSE, on the first day of the new academic year at the LSE. So it's great to see such a turnout. Um, and it's a great pleasure for me to invite two very prominent, um, provocative European politicians. So I want to enjoy saying this. To my left, <laughs> Kiefer Hofstadt. It's a new for you. <laughs> who was, um, in 1999, became Belgian Prime Minister and was Prime Minister for nine years in three separate governments. And then in 2009 was elected to the European Parliament and is now the leader of the Alliance of Liberals and Democrats in Europe. And on my right, we have... C'est la vie. Danny Cohn-Bendit, who uh, was, of course, very prominent in the late 60s in the student protests, very well known around these parts at LSE. Uh, in 94, was elected to the European Parliament for the German Greens, elected again in 99 for the French Greens, 2004 for the German Greens, 2009 for the French Greens, and the only politician in Europe who has successfully done that, by the way, and since 2002 has been co-president of the Greens European Free Alliance in the European Parliament. So they're here today to launch their book, provocatively titled Manifesto for a Post-National and Federal Europe. And how we're going to do it is the following. Guy is going to talk first. Danny is going to reply. Guy is going to respond. Danny is going to reply, very much in the spirit of the book itself. And then afterwards, we have Q&A, um, quite a long time for questions and answers. And at the end, if you've purchased a book, we will stay here, and you're welcome to come up and have these two sign it. So the books are on sale outside. And at the end, you can go purchase a book, or you may already have done that, and we'll wait, and you can file up and come and they'll sign the book for you. So, Guy, welcome to LSE. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you uh, very much to uh, Simon Hicks for, for uh, chairing this uh, presentation, a book that um, has been launched uh, uh, a week ago uh, on, on, on Monday in Brussels, naturally, in Brussels, in uh, the... Uh, in, in what we call the capital of, uh, of, uh, of Europe, and uh, a book that has been um, uh, written by uh, Dani and myself um, um, out of rage and frustration, in fact. So you shall read it when you read it. It's, uh, uh, it's because we were frustrated by the way uh, the actual political leadership in, in, in Europe, the uh, national leaders, are... Uh, managing this crisis or, or not managing this crisis because what we are seeing the last three years are national elites uh, in, in Europe, in, in, uh, in the 27 countries of the Union, but uh, especially in the, in the 17 countries of the Eurozone, were in fact not capable uh, to uh, develop a vision uh, to solve this uh, crisis around the euro and, and more precisely the crisis around uh, the European Union. What we have seen the last three years, because the crisis started, as you know, uh, in, in, in December uh, 2009, is um, national leaders and a European Council, who is always, uh, in, in, in every summit, I think that we have now got 25 summits, uh, since the start of the crisis, taking and deciding on half measures who are not solving uh, 
the uh, crisis at all. And the reason why they cannot uh, solve this crisis is because, uh, first of all, the matter is wrong, and, and secondly, because they are not developing uh, a vision for the future of Europe. First of all, the method is wrong. The method they are using is the intergovernmental method. There is a European Council, or 27 uh, heads of states and government, and they try to manage uh, uh, a monetary union. Manage a monetary union uh, by uh, taking a number of measures uh, that uh, then has to be approved by the 27 member states of the Union, or at least by the 17 member states of uh, the Eurozone. So in a world uh, that is uh, turning faster and faster, uh, we have in fact a governing body uh, of the Eurozone and the European Union uh, who needs at least six months, nine months, 12 months before uh, they can uh, approve uh, their uh, decisions. So the, the, the method is wrong, and I don't think that with this intergovernmental method, with uh, 25 new uh, uh, summits of the European Union in the next two, three years, uh, we can uh, solve our problems inside the Union. And, and secondly, because they have uh, a wrong analysis of, uh, of, of, the, uh, of the problem. They think that with uh, a number to, to fix a, a little bit this monetary union, they can uh, solve the euro crisis, but this uh, euro crisis is not an economic crisis. It's not even a financial crisis. And in my opinion, in, 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 in what we have uh, put in, in, in the book, it's not even a crisis uh, around uh, uh, public finances, the bad, the bad public finances of Greece, the bad public finances of, of Spain, Portugal, uh, Ireland. That is the fallout of this crisis. The real origin of this crisis is that it is a political crisis. A political crisis, why? Because we have established on the 1st of January 2002 a monetary union, a single currency, but we did not establish uh, all the instruments you need for that. Uh, an economic union, a fiscal union, uh, uh, a common bond market, uh, and, and a political union. I compare it always with, uh, with, what's, uh, with what happened in the U.S. Uh, in the 18th century. Uh, in 1776, uh, there was uh, created a confederation of, of 13 independent American states, but it was a confederation. And uh, decisions inside that confederation were taken by unanimity. And then it didn't work, so what it did was in 1785, they did a new conference, a new convention, the Convention of Philadelphia, in which they introduced uh, the federalism, the federal rule. So decisions were taken not by unanimity, but by nine against uh, four. And why nine against four? Because nine were in favor uh, of a federation and four uh, uh, states were against uh, the uh, Federation. And then a few uh, years later, in 1790, they introduced, after a big fight between Hamilton and Jefferson uh, on that issue, treasury certificates. So to finance the action uh, of the uh, Federation. And then two years later, in 1792, uh, they established for the first time uh, a federal treasury. Uh, in uh, the uh, US. And only after that, only after that, they introduced the dollar. We in Europe, we are more intelligent. We start with the euro and then we say, oh shit, uh, we don't have a, an economic union, a fiscal union, a treasury, uh, uh, we have still 17 ministers of uh, finance, we have still 17 different uh, uh, e e e uh, e economic strategies, and we have s still 17 different bond markets. Uh, something what uh, cannot work. And the reason why I'm saying that it's in fact a political crisis and not a crisis about 
public finance, well, the best thing you can do is to compare uh, the European Union, the Eurozone, with the states and with a number of other uh, countries. For example, Japan. I could also put uh, uh, Great Britain uh, in my uh, little list, but I shall be polite, so I shall only uh, take the Eurozone and uh, the US and Japan. If you look to our public finance in the Eurozone, we have a debt of 88% for the moment. And we pay an average interest rate, an average interest rate of 5% for the moment, with 88. The US have a debt of 102%, higher than the Eurozone. And they pay less than 2% interest rate. And Japan, that's a, a fantastic case, because they have 226% of public debt, the double of Italy for the moment, and they pay 1.5% of interest rate. And why is there difference? How is it possible that with a higher debt, you pay lower interest rates? Where in Europe, it's, it's the opposite uh, what is happening. Because behind the yen, there is a credible central state. And nobody doubted about the capability of the, uh, of the Japanese central government to pay their debts. And behind the US and the dollar, there is a federal state, a federal state with a budget of 24% of GDP. So maybe it's a figure uh, to send uh, tomorrow to the Congress of the Conservatives so that they know that, that the 1% in, in Europe is only uh, a small part of the 24% uh, of the uh, federal state in uh, the US. And what we have behind the euro is nothing at all. A budget of 1%. Uh, different, uh, different strategies, different ministries of finance, and uh, different uh, bond markets. Because what we, are, uh, what we are seeing today, it's not merely a crisis of the euro. What we are seeing is a crisis inside the euro system. Inside the euro system, tensions between different countries, uh, speculation between bond markets of different countries. Take, for example, Slovenia. A good example... Uh, uh, to uh, illustrate what is happening. Slovenia, small country, less than 2 million inhabitants, uh, has a debt of less than 60%, a little bit more than 50%, so in accordance with the Treaty of uh, Maastricht and the Stability Pact. At the same time, they have a fiscal deficit very near to 3%, uh, much better than France, Britain, and a number of other uh, uh, countries, and they are paying 5% interest rate. Why? Uh, because it's a small bond market, and in small bond markets, you are paying higher interest rates. So I think the moment is there now that uh, uh, we launch a new slogan, uh, I should say, uh, in, in, in the meetings of the European Council. You know, uh, a number of years ago when there was this uh, re-election of Clinton, then uh, the advisor of Clinton said, yeah, it's the economy, stupid. And that was the, uh, the slogan at that moment. Well, I should put a new slogan in the European Council and saying it's liquidity, stupids. Stupids, eh? in a plural, eh? uh, for the uh, uh, different members uh, of uh, the Council. And, uh, and, and we think that it's impossible uh, to come out of this crisis, that Spain, for example, that uh, Italy cannot recover if we continue like this, simply putting uh, measures of austerity and at, at the same time um, uh, having a situation in which half of the efforts of the Italians, half of the efforts of the, sp uh, the Spanish people are used to pay high interest rates to bondholders and bond uh, markets outside uh, Europe. And that's the reason why we are saying there is a problem. You need a real federal state uh, uh, to, uh, to solve it. And real federal state means a European government, 
uh, a European uh, two-chamber uh, uh, system, a European passport. Why not the European army? All these countries are looking. I say, our, 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 our public finances are bad. Well, maybe a good start should be to have common efforts on defense so that we don't uh, spend 27 times uh, the same, and so on, and so on. That is the claim of the book. And we are saying we are in the middle of a crossroad. Or we lose the euro, and we go back to the old confederation of nation-states, call it the United Nations of Europe, or we go to the United States of Europe, and you make a, a real uh, federal union that is capable to keep uh, uh, this whole union uh, together. Thanks. Uh. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Simon. Well, I think I'm the third time here in uh, this uh, place to talk about Europe. And the first time, because uh, he talks about uh, 68, the first time I came here was in 68 because there was a student uh, strike here in LSE. And I talked there, and then in the evening there was a wonderful concert where the Who and the Doors together played to support uh, mm -hmm. uh, the student strike. This was a big, big, big day, uh, night. So uh, I have always uh, a good memory of being here in London. Now, I think uh, Guy explained uh, uh, why we uh, together wrote the book. Uh, this book came out in six languages at the same time, French, German, Italian, Spanish, English, and Dutch. It is now quite finished in uh, Portuguese, Greece. In Greece, it will be given for nothing. <laughs> and <laughs> that's true. Yeah, we have an idea of solidarity. We have an idea of solidarity. And and in Poland and in Poland. So. Um, and because we think we have to uh, make our point, not in one public opinion, but as, as large as possible in the European public opinion. Now, uh, I, I, I want to take the, now the, the explanation the other way around. The, the problem that we have, if, if you look in 30 years, in 30 years, none of the European nation state will be part of the G8. None. The G8 will be United States, Russia, Brazil, India, China, Mexico, and Indonesia. Now, the decision that we have to make together, do we want to decide for our life, or do we want that these countries decide for us? This is a simple question. And the question is the nation-state and sovereignty the nation states are more and more losing their sovereignty uh, and it's taken by the market. The market has the sovereignty about the economic and politics of the nation states. And the question is, do we want this or do we want to regain sovereignty? And I think that the regulation uh, that is needed for, by the financial market, by, by, by the, the regulation of the economy and uh, the regulation to fight climate change, you can't do it by the nation state. You need to have a critical mass. You need to have a, a power who is able to match this. You know, Adam Smith, when he talks 
you know, the liberal, you know, because I'll always, uh, I'm confronted to say, yes, the liberals, the liberals, and the market, the market, the market will be, decide everything, and we have a new religion now, the religion of the market, you know. God is uh, now in the market, and God knows everything, and the market knows everything. Well, I think the last five years, uh, the records of the market is not very, very fine, you know. So perhaps we could think of how could we regulate uh, 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 this market. And uh, when the nation states came up in Europe in the 18th century, 19th century, 20th century, it was because, you know, some liberals said, if you have a market, then you have to have a political power to regulate the market, to make directives, to make laws. And now the market is, if you have this uh, incredible financial uh, enterprise, banks, and you have this big uh, uh, monopole economic enterprise, then you need a bigger regulation uh, uh, body, if you want, uh, state, and for us, this is the European Union. So the European Union is, in fact, the possibility to defend our idea of life, to defend our way of life, to defend our culture. So this is what we are saying to the people. And, you know, um, at the moment, and, and, and Guy explained it uh, 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 very good, you know, um, we have now... 17 countries uh, in the Eurozone. And you have, but in the reality, in the treaty, 25 countries from 27 have signed that they will enter to the Eurozone. But it's a big majority of the European uh, countries who has decided to go in the Eurozone. It will take time, one year, two years, three years, it depends, you know. But every, the only opt opting out countries are Denmark and uh, Great Britain. Now, uh, we have now to think about how can this uh, European uh, federal state, what is not a super state? You know, this is a country. The form of a non-democratic controlled super state is the intergovernmental Europe that we have today. This is the reality. Because they are meeting, you don't know how, they decide something, and then their decision has to be, uh, has to be now be, become laws of the national level. More, sometimes you have a co-decision and you can control by the European Parliament, by a lot of economic decision, and, and it's exactly the example what Guy gave from the United States, you know, because they decide in unanimity. Unanimity is the end of democracy. It's a dictatorship of one. You know, and if, if you look, you know, the, the problem of unanimity, I will come at the end on, on this, you know, if you not take the Security Council and unanimity decision and the veto right, well, if you have unanimity, you have, per definition, veto right by one country or the other, you know, and if you take the Security Council and the veto right from the five uh, veto countries, this makes that you can't function. You can't function. So we are pledging for a real democratization of Europe. The federal state, the idea of federal state is, demo, is democratis democratization of Europe. And now, how, how to get there? We have to take a, l a lot of decisions now, uh, now uh, 
Um, Guy talks about the redemption fund, the uh, mutualization of the debt. The mutualization of the debt is to say we have to have two legs. One leg is budget financial responsibility. Second leg is solidarity. How can we uh, be solidarity will be with the south of Europe, with the east of Europe, or whatever. And, and we have a really, um, in one of uh, sociologists, the political sociology, always teaching here, Ulrich Beck, you know, he has written a marvelous piece. You can read it in German in Spiegel today, or on a new book, uh, Deutsches Europa, German Europe, where he explained we are in a completely mad situation. Normally, imperialism of a country is they want to overrule the country. So you had the European dream by Napoleon or by Hitler, you know, under the leadership of one country. This is a normal process of unification. Now, we are in a situation, he explains, very interesting, that the problem is not that, for example, Germany will overrule with its economy the other country. The imperialism of, 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 if you want, or the hegemony, imperialism is a bad word, the hegemony of Germany is they can't, they have an hegemony in saying we don't give you money. This is the situation today. The situation, if you see, is because Germany is blocking the redemption fund, Germany is blocking, not only Germany, you have uh, Finland, you have uh, uh, Holland, you have a lot of countries, you know, who are functioning with a regional egoism. But the point is that the German, and this is what we say in Germany, have to understand is if this euro uh, break, if you get to the situation that we don't have a future in this euro, then there will be a problem for Germany. And the German economy is a very dynamic in, in economy, but very unjust. The difference between the rich and the poor are growing and growing. The other economy of European countries like Frank are not dynamic and as unjust. So what we want is a dynamic and just economy and this I will say you can only get it through a federalization of Europe. Now I, I will uh, demonstrate you a possible a scenario of a process, a scenario of a process. We say that you will have the, um, you have the European election 2014. Now first, you know that European elections are, you have nation, in different member states, you have different political lists from the different political party. You don't have a European debate, you have national debate. So one thing which is very important to give you know, a perspective of European debate, a European public opinion. How can you force a European public opinion? In our, uh, I think my proposition is we have two possibilities. Uh, we don't get the transnational list, we don't get the majority in the European Parliament, the member state, you know, transnational list would be, you have 752 MPs, is right, Guy? More or less? 750. 56, okay, sorry, four more. Uh -huh. And uh, we said take 25 of these 756. 25 of these seats will be seats on transnational lists. So the liberal level transnational, the conservative transnational list is a list where you have one representative of each country. And 
the head of this list would be the candidate for the different political parties, European parties, conservative, greens, liberal, social democrats, whatever, uh, to be the proposition to be the, the first name of this would have been the proposition to be uh, the president of the commission. No, we don't get it. So how can we make another step? The other step is that with little change, not in the treaty, but only in the electoral law, you could say, or the candidates for the presidency of the commission by the different political European parties can be candidate in all the 27 countries. So you have one candidate, Guy wants to be uh, the next Barroso, you know, so he will be the candidates in the liberal... Uh, a different Barroso. A different, yes, okay, a different Barroso. I didn't, uh, yes. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he can be candidate in, for all the European liberal parties. Or in discussion is Tusk for the conservative, the prime minister of Poland, he could be the head of the list of the different parties. And then you will have a, a European debate. In the BPC, in the European election, you will have these different persons discussing their project of Europe, you know, and so you with it for the first time. Or, what I prefer, because one thing is quite complicated, you have to put together different political culture. And I want to show you two different political culture on the European uh, scene. You have the, the German democracy is a very parliamentary democracy, you know, and the, the court in Karlsruhe always say you can decide what you want, you have always to go back to the Bundestag and there must be a decision by the Bundestag. France is a, a exec, you know, the executive democracy. The president can do everything, you know, the president can send soldiers all over the world and few months later, perhaps, you, you can have a discussion in the French Parliament, you know? <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's a reality. It's, it's exactly the reality. France is the only country in the world, only democracy, where the agenda for the Parliament is done by the government. And everybody said, you lie. No, it's not, I'm not lying. It's a reality. It's a reality. So, how, how to make a mixture of this? And my proposition would be, make the European election like now for the, the list, you know, in every country you have the different family. And then you have a second ballot, you can vote twice. A second ballot where you vote at the same time the president of the commission, one person. So you, ha you will have a, a new dynamic, a new dynamic, both dynamic, parliamentaries and presidential. And of course the legitimacy of this president, you know, elected, you know, in a dynamic European election will be as big, not bigger, as the legitimacy of the head of the governments of the council. So you will have a check and balance power in the European Union. So, then we go, we have the election. You elected um, a, a European Parliament. This European Parliament, this is done now, it's now possible with the Treaty of Lisbon, will call for a convention, for not a new treaty, a new declaration of fundamental rights. I know that in England it's different, you don't need it, Magna Carta, blah, 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 okay. <laughs> but I just want to say, yes, I know this, but of the European level, the most of the state have this and you need this, you know, and you need this. So it's a declaration, 20 pages, not more, not like the old treaty, you know, 
20 pages where you say why Europe, the structure of Europe, and the money of the European Union, the money is the euro for everybody. So then you put this Declaration of Fundamental Rights, uh, convention is parliamentary from the European Parliament, national parliamentary and representative of the government. After two years, they agreed of such a Declaration of Fundamental Rights. And then we put this in a referendum in all Europe. It's a new foundation of Europe, new explanation where the peoples of Europe had to take their responsibility. And this Declaration of Fundamental Rights of Europe is accepted if the majority of the people and a majority of states have said yes, that the little states are not ro uh, rolled over by the big uh, states. So you have to, to have a majority of the people and a majority of states who are saying yes. If you have this, what do you do with a state who don't, didn't have say yes? Then German history is a good example. Uh, when uh, in Germany they made the, the, the Declaration of Fundamental Rights, Grundgesetz in the 50s, uh, Bavaria said no to this, refused. One, it was the only regional state to say no. Now, I'm not lying if I tell you that Bavaria is still in Germany and that the, uh, the rule of fundamental rights is still also the uh, uh, rules in Bavaria. So the Bavaria say we accept the decision of the other. But you could also go out. So for this, so for example, Great Britain, in this process, the people of Great Britain have to decide in perspective what they want to be, the 51 state of the United States or saying in the European Union. It's democratically their right to say we don't want to be in the European Union. But it's not, it's not okay what is happening now. And Mr. Cameron, and I come to end to this, you know, we are discussing now the budget. Now, Mr. Cameron say, I want to block the budget, and, and we say we need a European budget. Guy has ex made the example 1% of the GDP. We can't answer the crisis. If you want to have a minimum of social security in Greece, it's only the European budget who can pay because the social model in Greece doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. And this is very, very, very dangerous because Greece is today in the situation that Germany was after the Treaty of Versailles. It can go towards fascism. And it would be the ugly face of Europe that we took Greece, you know, after they have, you know, recovered from the fascists, from the colonial, and we pushed Greece you know, to the fascists because we are not able to have the minimum of solidarity that they have a minimum of social protection. If this is right, you need this done by a European budget. So the position of Cameron to put down uh, the European budget is uh, not possible. And then we come to the madness. On the other side, a, a lot of countries said, okay, we want own resources on Europe. Own resources is not taking money from the contribution of the member state, but own resources like tax, um, financial, financial, transaction tax? financial transaction tax, or uh, climate carbon tax, or uh, my preference is 0.1% for every phone call that you make in Europe. So, <laughs> well, you, you can have a lot, a lot of own resources. 
The Commission says own resources on the European level would be 50 billion euro. The European uh, budget is 100 billion. So it's half. It's half. And then the British say we are against the financial transaction cancel. But if nine countries, if you have cooperation renforcée, I don't know how you say it in English, you know? Enhanced cooperation. Yes, if you have enhanced cooperation, we want a part of it. So we are against. We are against to hire the budget, but if you take money, then we British, we want part of this money. I think this is too much. Even in the Talmud, you couldn't explain this. Even in Talmud, you can't explain this. And, and, and I think, you know, this is the perspective that we gain for a federal Europe. For us, a federal Europe is a more democratic Europe. It's a Europe which is accountable. It doesn't mean that the member state disappear. It's a main, it means only that you have a new balance of sovereignty between the European sovereignty and the nation state sovereignty. Thank you. Do you want to, they, they want to open it up for questions, so uh, straight away we have mic, roving mics here, so the first hand I see is at the, up here, is there a mic upstairs or not? Yeah, there is a mic there. Mic at the back, down the front here, this gentleman at the front row. I suggest we take three questions in a, in a row. Um, Keep thank them you short, very much. Please. Yeah, very short. Um, there is a huge social disaggregation right now all over Europe. People don't understand why the benefits of the markets are not being widespread. How can you achieve a true uh, people's integration in Europe with the current state of affairs? Because it doesn't work. Nice. <coughs> My name is John Palmer. Um, I used to be the director of the European Policy Centre in Brussels, now at the Federal Trust in London, and perhaps the only person in the room who was present in 1968 here at LSE. So we are two. Uh, okay, a th two. There's a third one down here, apparently. Uh, but, but please don't tell the director. Um, my, my question is this. I unsurprisingly agree with both uh, what uh, Danny and Guy have said. The debate appears to be focusing, however, on some steps in the direction they uh, have been urging for the euro area while maintaining a European Union with what to me would be uh, certainly a limited but unclear mandate. Is that possible uh, in the longer term to maintain a bifurcated community or union of this kind, and in particular, in particular, if the proposal is for the uh, euro area to have a parliament with, uh, of the character that they have described, how would that sit with the wider parliament of the union, uh, and would they foresee, for example, that there might simply be sessions of the wider parliament in which only euro area members could vote, possibly speak, uh, 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 or might it be a more flexible arrangement? I'd be interested to know. One more. Is that this woman up here? Sarah Ludford. Thank you very much. Sarah Ludford, Liberal Democrat, MEP for London. Hello, Guy. <laughs> Hi, My group leader. How are you? <laughs> 
Vicky, I'm afraid I got here a bit late, so I don't know whether you explained what post-national means. Could you do so now? Good. Thanks, Sarah. Okay, who wants to go first? Okay, okay. Okay, current affair, it can't continue like this, you're right. We, it's, it's what we try to explain. It's right to explain that, and, and on the social desegregation, you are absolutely right. The problem of the, now is, uh, do you think that you could, by returning to uh, national politics, you could have more uh, social aggregation? And I think United Kingdom is a good explain, but you are not in all this shit of Euro, though, but the social <laughs> unity of this country is not very, very strong, if I read the papers uh, quite... Uh, uh, quite good. So, so I think uh, we are now in a problem that, uh, and this is a problem of, of Germany and other countries, how to mobilize also economic and financial capacity and the democratic control of it to really relaunch, uh, relaunch the economy. And in the book, and this is one of the a uh, big uh, historical compromise between Guy coming from Thatcher and now a very open liberal and me coming from the libertarian and to be uh, open, I don't know what, um, uh, is, is that we make a compromise on budgetary discipline but also relaunch the economy through uh, a Green New Deal, to not to relaunch, to give a new dimension of our economy. And I think this is, I think, this is the path to the solution, you know. We have to mobilize money and through the European Bank of Investment, you know, to go to Greece, to bring to Greece. I propose also to, for Greece in this country uh, a minimum of uh, a, social, a social minimum that for the transition period so can also be paid by the Europe. The problem in Greece, you know, and, and that's what I say about fascism. The fascists are now going from, from door to door and give 20 euro to the families, you know, they, they earn 150 and 160 euro, and they buy them for their thing. And this is, you know, think about the Weimar Republic. And I think we, the European Union, can for a transition period, you know, and to, to help the Greek uh, economy to reconstruct about renewable, etc. I don't want to make all the speech, and also to have a minimum of social protection. You're absolutely right. This should be uh, the European uh, position. Now, Eurozone, you want to... I, we, I just want to say one, one, one thing on this. I don't think you can have a Eurozone parliament. I, I, I think... You know, it's what I said, 25 countries have signed. It's only two countries who don't want to go to Euro. The Eurozone Parliament is the European Parliament. But what is true is we have, and this is the perspective of the Convention, we have to finish this. We can't continue. We'll have the Eurozone and the non-Eurozone, you know. This, all this drop, uh, uh, opting out is not possible. And the idea that you have a part of a European Parliament deciding how do you do it. And Schengen, you mean... I mean, you know, Schengen is the same. Now, uh, the British uh, are deciding also about Schengen, even if they are not in Schengen. It's not a problem. It's not a problem, you know. They would like, more of them, they would like, even Farage would like to have Schengen, because uh, then he, he didn't have to show his passport every time coming in. But this is his private problem. So it's... <laughs> 
It's not a problem having a British chair of the Economic and Monetary Affairs Committee in the European Parliament. It, it, it's it, never raised as a question. No, no, it, it raises questions. It, it, but he must answer because it's his party. I mean, it uh, depends what she, she is doing. And a lot of times she is in minority uh, in this uh, committee to the other. But this is uh, democracy. I, I, I don't see it as a problem at all. Some, some people are using that in saying Sharon Bowles as, as that, but she's uh, first of all a very competent uh, uh, chair of ICOM and also in favour of the introduction of the euro in Britain. <laughs> so, uh, and that was also her statement uh, when she became uh, chair of, 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 of ICOM. But continuing on, on that point of uh, uh, the two-speed uh, Europe, yeah, I, I think we have to stop it, what we have now. That it, for, on every policy, uh, we have, in fact, uh, a, di a different configuration of states. Eh? The Eurozone is 17, with a number of opt-ins and a number of uh, opt-outs. And, and Schengen is another story, with some countries outside, but there are also uh, non-European countries, like Switzerland, inside. Uh, the Schengen. Uh, the patent is a new example. We shall start with the European patent. That's then uh, a policy of 25 of 27 because Spain and Italy are not in favor of the system. The fiscal compact, that's, that's another start. The fiscal compact, uh, it starts with, uh, with a number of countries. Uh, if I'm, uh, I'm, I'm 12 have to uh, agree on it. And, and, and then you can start with the fiscal compact. So I have an, another con uh, configuration. So for every policy for the moment, uh, you you have, uh, uh, that cannot work. That is destroying, in fact, uh, the, the, uh, the European idea and the European Union. The fact that you have this uh, different speeds on, on every uh, uh, policy uh, in, 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 uh, uh, in the past. And, and we have uh, to go in, in, in uh, more or less in, in what I call a, a single European Union, including the euro as the uh, currency, uh, as has been uh, indicated. Then on, on, on the other question of... Um, of uh, 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 this was national. Yeah, I come to that. That's my last uh, for for Sharon uh, for uh, Sarah. That's my last uh, uh, my last point. But on, on the previous thing uh, on on solidarity and discipline. So, uh, my I think that Mrs. Merkel is now going to Greece. The best thing she could do was to go three years ago uh, to uh, uh, Greece. And three years ago, when she went to Greece, she could say uh, said then, uh, okay. Uh, we are in the Eurozone uh, in full solidarity uh, with Greece. Uh, first statement, second statement, but Greece shall have to make a number of uh, important reforms to change the clientelistic uh, uh, and even from time to time corrupt system in Greece because that's the, the, the problem. What we are asking, or the IMF and the Troika is asking a moderation of wages to people with low wages, minimum wages. They are asking more uh, taxation to small and medium enterprises, but the, the real uh, challenges in Greece are not tackled at all. Uh, for, uh, for the moment. Uh, markets were not open. A uh, 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 public sector was far uh, uh, too big. Like I said, a, client, a clientelistic system uh, 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 used by both parties, Neo Democratica and, and, and PASOK. Their clients are different, eh? but the, the system that they are using is exactly uh, the, the same. And if Mrs. Merkel went three years ago to, to Greece and say, okay, we are in full solidarity with Greece and they have to make uh, uh, important reforms. There was never got, uh, there, was, there was no Euro crisis uh, uh, at this moment. But if you uh, start 
In, in the beginning of a crisis, in December 2009, when, when the, uh, the rating agency downgraded uh, the, the Greek bounce to triple B plus, should be a good rating today, but at that moment, uh, that was uh, a, 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 a big problem. And, and at the same moment, that was the start of the crisis, uh, the ECB announcing in the beginning of December 2009 that they should not longer accept triple B plus bounce as collateral to give liquidity to the banks. So everybody got these triple pay plus in their portfolios. So what you do if the ECP is announcing that there is an exit strategy and they no longer accept triple pay plus, you sell it. That was the start of the crisis. But instead of, of, of tackling that problem, in, 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 instead of expressing solidarity, what we did was the opposite. So it's like a football team, eh? the, the monetary union, Europe's like a football team coming uh, on the field and you say against the other team, Oh, we have a keeper. What a bad keeper that they have. Uh, shoot, shoot, yeah, from for 50 meters long. You are speaking so, about England. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's, uh, that, that is what we did. We destroyed, in fact, in, in a few weeks, in a few weeks, in a few weeks, that monetary union. Because a monetary union is, is, is not only a question of figures, it's also a question of trust, of confidence, and that trust that confidence was destroyed in a number of weeks' time, and we didn't regain it until now. And then post-nationalism... Uh, agree, B before, because you say what is important on Greece, one other point is important that Europe has to tackle all its tax evasion. A tax evasion, because one of the problems also in a country like Greece, that the very rich, you know, put their money in Switzerland or Luxembourg or Austria, you know, and this money is, is uh, failing for the, the Greek, uh, for the, the Greek economy, and... Or they're non-DOMs here in the UK. Pardon? Or they're non-DOMs in the yeah, UK. Yeah, okay, here. Okay, so it's true. And, and the second thing, uh, because you say it's uh, corrupt, we have also to say where uh, uh, European enterprise participate in the corruption. Mm -hmm. Because the corrupt system is not only, not only Siemens has been no. be no. condemned, but a lot of European system and force when the Greek had 4% of the GDP for the defense, for years, nobody in the council said, hey, it can't work. Nobody, because the French and German were very happy to say them uh, uh, sous-marins. How do you say in English? Submarines. Submarines. Can you tell me why Greeks need submarines? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, really, it was Germany who, who sell them French helicopters and things. And nobody in all the years, you know, you could see it can't function. But it didn't matter because the, the bad money from Greece was to pay the enterprise in the, Europe, in the other European countries. So there is also a shared responsibility. No post-national. Uh, post-nationalism, no. Uh, no, uh, I think what, what we want to say with the book is, and with this post-national revolution, is that uh, we shall live in a new age of empires. But empires not in the bad sense of the world. Uh, the world tomorrow, the globalized world, is a, is a, a world dominated by countries like uh, US, China, India. But China, that's not a nation, that's a civilization. Han is a civilization with different ethnies in, in, inside. India, India is the best example of a, of a real continent, an empire in the real sense of the world with different religions, different ethnies, different... Uh, 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 different languages, huge number of, of, of languages. And uh, the, uh, the U.S. is, is, is by uh, essence uh, a multicultural uh, 
uh, uh, complex society. Uh, but not only English, the, the second language, uh, Spanish, is, is, is going forward at, uh, at a fast track. So the, the world of tomorrow shall be dominated uh, by a, a, a network, by a number of these modern, I should say, empires. So what we need to do is to put a part of our sovereignty, not longer on the national level, but on the European level, the continental, the subcontinental level, to tackle that and to defend our model, to defend our interests in the world of tomorrow. And that cannot be done on the national level. That can only be done on uh, the continental or subcontinental level. And on top of that, yeah, why not... Uh, uh, why should we have in Europe national politicians in the European democracy? Now, let's be honest, European elections are national elections for the moment. So we want to make them in the post-national world, yeah, real European elections, not depending from uh, the identity, the national identity uh, that you have, but based on a transnational list, the first possibility, or the possibility to be candidate not only in one country but in different countries. So I think the best example that I can give is Danny. He's the first post-nationalist uh, uh, post in, 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 in Europe. He don't know what he is. Is he French? Is he German? He don't know. Uh, from time to time I think he's Belgium. But I, uh, <laughs> Hello, um, I'm an uh, LSE student. Um, I, just as the gentleman over there, uh, surprisingly uh, agree with most what, what, with what you were saying, um, especially because, for instance, I would like to see a, a universal carbon tax be implemented in, into Europe, which is almost impossible under the uh, current system. But what I would like to ask you is, could you promise that it won't be just like the United States of America? Uh, the reason why I'm asking this is because if you have fewer layers of state, if you have, uh, just as you said, one representative for uh, a country, just like, for instance, in a Senate, you would have an easier target for lobby groups which are, in my view, dominating politics in the United States, um, destroying the middle group. And what I also see in the United States is two powerhouses, the Republicans and the Democrats. You say we, would l we want to offer multiple types of, multiple parties, seats in our uh, new federalism, but you would have to be careful that the threat of ending up with two countries, uh, two uh, parties which will never uh, reach an agreement on anything. Uh, it was in the news a few months ago that in the, Euro in the United States Senate and, and um, House of... Uh, Congress. Yeah, Congress, sorry. There hasn't been, uh, yeah, a year which, have, which has seen that little agreement uh, as it has been in decades. Yeah, sorry. So that was. So can you promise me that the United States of Europe will not be like the United States of America? Thank you very much. Where do we go next, gentlemen up here? 
Hi there. Uh, for some controversy, I'm going to say I'm a UCL student. <laughs> don't, judge, don't judge me, don't hold it against me. Anyway, good job, chaps. You guys did a fantastic talk. I think your points about democracy in the EU are not just timely, but they're necessary. It's true, it is a superstructure, and you just need to bring democracy in for accountability. However, my question is about interregionalism. The idea that you're going to have a stronger Europe that works more together as a common security foreign policy. My question is, what's the future for regionalism? Is it an international relations with the same security dilemma, or will there be cooperation between, between the regions? Thank you. At the front, been waiting very patiently. Uh, thank you. Uh, my name's John Hume, and I'm a European. I, my grandfather uh, was born in Greece, and frankly, it breaks my heart what's going on in that country. And my question is quite simply this. Um, if we are going to have a vision of a federal Europe, how do we first of all defuse some of the awful problems arising from the Europe without sort of arguing about what happened when it was created. How do we defuse that problem? Because my feeling is that until we grasp that particular nettle, progress, to put it mildly, is going to be painfully slow. Because, forgive me, panel uh, notwithstanding, there are not that many federal parliamentarians around. And uh, you, well, my last point is to say that I rather suspect we all know what people would feel, uh, having heard what we've been saying in, in this room, if that is they're in the Conservative Conference in Birmingham. Thank you. you can we have one more? Yes. Are there any Eurosceptics in the audience who'd like to ask a question? <laughs> Who said that? Yes, down here. Here's the, here's the microphone. First thing Wait, to don't lynch him, okay? I, I won't. Uh, first thing to say, of course, is that there's a difference between being a Europhobe and being a Eurosceptic. They are actually quite different. The, I am... I am listening, desperately trying to listen with an open mind. My question to you is this. You talk about the fact that, um, and I do understand the argument that says that uh, Europe can no longer be dictated by the, slow, by the pace of the slowest member. I understand that. But do you not recognise that opt-outs from Europe, the Euro, Schengen, whatever it might be, are done on the basis of national opinion of certain countries, which is part of the democracy? If you have an opinion in a certain country that says, we do not believe or wish to sign up to something and you then wish to abolish a veto which effectively enforces it upon them, how can you say that you are working in the interest of democracy when all that will do is, is generate huge amounts of problems, huge amounts of resentment, and then can push people into the hands of far-right or far-left parties? You cannot on, one, on the one hand say, we want to create a European demos, but then say, we're going to do it by force, and if you don't like it, you're going to have to do it. You, you, that just doesn't work, and you will end up creating the very divisions that you don't want in a way the Euro has. It was meant to be there to, you know, to achieve a aim of European unity, and what we're now seeing is the finance ministers of various countries coming out, criticising each other. It's creating the very problems it was meant to avoid, and I just think with the kind of view you're, you have, if you push it that far and you don't accept the fact that some people are just going to say no, and it's not because they, they're racist or xenophobic, they just disagree you will create the same problems with that. Thank you. Um, okay. Uh, I, 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 yes, I want to start with first and go to the first. Uh, look, uh, in, in, in the scenario that I'd explain, I want to force nobody. 
And I always say in the European referendum, the people can say no. The problem is uh, that in French you say you can't eat the butter say and sell the butter. Or you eat it or you sell it. Uh, okay? And I, I have the, uh, the, the impression that um, a, a lot of countries want both. They want to be in Europe and not to be in Europe. And I want to create a democratic process where public opinion has to decide. Because my understanding of politics is that also the people have to take responsibility. They have to take responsibility with what will happen. You know, in, in, in a democracy, if you vote for the conservative, you take a responsibility. If you vote for Labour, or if you vote for the Greens, you take another responsibility. And this is okay, you know, and then we'll see what is the majority. But, you know, uh, in, in my understanding of a politician is, before we get to this process, we have to make proposition. And our proposition is not a dictatorial proposition because we are the best in the world, you have to follow us. We, we, we go and debate on this. It's why we wrote the book. And we want the confrontation how, if you want, uh, 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 conservatives want to solve the problem of Europe. You know? This is uh, a thing. And, and when we say in our process we don't, we want a European army. This is post-national. Everybody was afraid, but we need, you know, and, and don't, don't to make a case about uh, uh, Great Britain, I want to make the case of French. France, if you say we want a European army, it's not possible because we have a seat in, in uh, Council of Security Council and because we have the atomic uh, defense. Now, the seat in the Security Council by France, ridiculous. They never used it. They never used it in all the story of the Security Council. And it was the intelligent, and everybody can think about what they want about Iraq, and Guy can tell you then in the, in the uh, European Council how long they discussed about the Iraq war, but it was the intelligence of the German Foreign Minister Fischer and the French Foreign Minister de Villepin that they got a majority in the Security Council against the intervention, and not uh, uh, the veto right. And second... The French atomic bomb, can you tell me, in, if you have the crisis in Libya, I, you can be for or against the intervention. This is not the problem. But in the, in the moment of the intervention in Libya, I was for it, you know, to save Benghazi. After one week, French and, and, French and English had, didn't have an, an, enough munition and they had to ask the American to help them because they couldn't do it alone. And the French atomic bomb and the British atomic bomb didn't help a thing because in the modern world, the problem is not, you know, that the Russian will come here or what. The problem is we have a lot of conflicts and we have one million, more than one million five hundred thousand European soldiers in uniform. For what? For what? Ten percent of the efficiency of the American. The American has 350,000 soldiers. Why we can't go to 350,000 European soldiers with the European political governance? And at the end... Why do we need 27 European um, uh, embassies in Kuala Lumpur? Can you, help, can you explain me? Why do we need this? Can we have a European representation with an office and a reception bar for every country, you know? <laughs> it's, 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 it's only that I really, you know, we don't want to force, but we want to push the idea, is the time 
of our nation state with what we think they can defend us. I, our position is nation state can't defend us, economically, financially, and in the general. No, I can't promise you everything, nothing. I, I'm, 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 and I, it's not a joke. Every political decision is a risk. And every historical process is a risk. You know, could the French who were fighting for a better world in, before the French Revolution, could they promise that it would be nice? They couldn't as it wasn't the first year after the French Revolution. And you know, the French Revolution was 789. Do you know when the women could vote in France? 150 years later. So I can't promise you, and I think, no, I think the system like we have doesn't function. But the difference with the United States, we have a European culture of democracy. And it's not the American culture. You, and, and this will be difficult also because you have the, you say, you have the English election system. And the, it's, it's very unjust. You know, Labour was, Wilson was prime minister with 34% of the votes. You know, because the, the winner takes them all, and the American took this, you know, and it's very unfair. It's very unfair. So we have to create a fair uh, system where also minorities are represented, and if you have this, and the European Parliament is the, the, best, ex uh, uh, the best example that also in Britain, you have Greens, you have others, you know, in the, in, the, in the European Parliament because you have a proportional system, and I think proportional system is a guarantee against the two-party system. So I will fight for the European system with a proportional system, you know, and then we have to find a 5% limit. Um, I, I, I think um, because of history, United States of Europe won't be the United States of, of, of America. Uh, we can have idea what it will be, but uh, on, on regional, uh, regionalism, um, it, it is one of the, for me, unclear uh, problem. And I will tell you why. Because you have form of regionalism, regionalism take uh, uh, Lega Lombarda in Italy. It's the egoism of the rich against the poor. The Lega Lombarda, the north of Italy, they don't want to pay for the poor in South Italy. In, in Catalonia, the problem is quite difficult. The crime rate is quite because they, you have the arrogance of Madrid and, and the Catalonian while independence and then integration of the European Union. Okay, and the Scottish is exactly the same. Well, my problem is I say to Catalonia and I don't have the answer. No, don't, don't take my thing. My, my, to Catalonia, I was last week there and asked them, why do you think that a right-wing Catalonian government is more, is more intelligent than the right-wing Spanish government. I, I don't know, I don't know. I, I, couldn't, I, uh, I couldn't explain it because I understand that Catalonia say we pay too much for the central government. Okay, I understand this and it's a fair argument. But on the other side, I can imagine that the next step when they are in the European Union will be we pay too much to Europe. Because the problem is that we are in a situation where I don't think that the problem that the Catalonian economy is matching and facing 
you can't resolve it only on the Catalonian level. You can't resolve it on the Spanish, but only on the Catalonian level. That is a discussion that we have. We have in, uh, regionalists in our group, and it's a, a very difficult discussion. Uh, of course, a federal Europe has to protect region and regional identity. This I agree, but which political form of this, this is quite complicated. Yes, uh, on, on the... Uh in, uh, shall we be different of the U.S.? Uh, that was the, uh, the, 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 the question. Uh, well, uh, first of all, if the U.S. should be working like us, that should go as follows. That is that uh, Obama, first of all, need to have a council of 50 governors coming together, and they have, agreed, they have to agree, with all 50 of them, uh, before he can do whatsoever to act and before he can do whatsoever. That is the way we are working for the moment. That's the intergovernmental uh, model. Huh? We have 27 coming together. They have to agree, and then, then, then we can uh, do a step uh, uh, forward. So we, we don't need to become the U.S. We shall not become the U.S. Why? Because we have in Europe this diversity of, of languages, diversity of uh, ethnies that uh, is, uh, is, is very clear. And I think that uh, it's, uh, this diversity will make it now very difficult to create a federal union. But once the federal union is there, it's the federal union is the best protection for this diversity. Because what is federalism? Federalism is a step in, 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 in mankind, I should say, the possibility uh, to organize a public authority in a society where you have different religions, cultures, and ethnies. That is federalism. And it's not the super state, not the centralism uh, that uh, we see. And then, secondly, what should be different? Well, we should not go to Iraq. That shall be different, uh, for example. Uh, what the Americans did in the Iraq war, uh, I think that should be impossible in Europe uh, to decide. If we have a common foreign policy, but we don't have a common foreign policy because we don't have a common defense uh, for uh, the moment. And... Uh, I can tell you how uh, that we don't have a common foreign policy. We, I was there, uh, that is what Danny was uh, talking about, uh, in, under the Spanish presidency when we discussed the Iraq issue in the European Council. We discussed the, uh, the Iraq issue in the European Council and it has taken one minute and 45 seconds, something like that. That was the discussion in the European Council. It was Jacques Chirac uh, saying, no, 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 it's not necessary to talk about that. No, he said, if I, no, no, it's not necessary to talk about that. Because nous sommes pas d'accord, n'est-ce pas, Tony? And Tony said, yes, yes, Jacques, you, I'm, I'm totally agree, I totally agree with you. It was the only point on which we agreed with each other. Uh, uh, it's not necessary to talk about that. That's the foreign policy of the Union. And, the, and it's still the foreign policy of the Union because when we need to go to, uh, uh, to, to Libya uh, and, and to do the red uh, on Benghazi, well, we, we didn't succeed in having one opinion. Uh, we got the British going in, the French going. I was very much in favor. I thought it was an absolute necessity to do that. And, and, and then the German, uh, the, the, the German Westerwelle thought that he could repeat uh, an Iraq uh, Fisher attitude. And he said no uh, uh, to it. So uh, it was not the European Union who had a, a, a position on that. So uh, we shall not be the same as the U.S., uh, but at the same time, it's absolutely necessary if we want to have a, a, a voice in the world uh, that we organize ourselves in a federal way.
Then, uh, are there enough uh, Federalists? Not enough, naturally. Uh, we hope that a number of you uh, can join the club. Uh, but we have, for the moment, in the European Parliament, we have created together, uh, Danny and myself, the Spinelli Group. Uh, the Spinelli Group is a Federalist group. There are 100 uh, MPs, MEPs, who are members of this Spinelli Group. And the, the, the reason why we have uh, 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 pu uh, published this book is uh, to make the, the, the cause for Federalism, because until three, four years ago, it was even forbidden uh, in European politics to use the word federal. When you came in and you say, yes, I'm a federal, shh, don't say it, don't say it. It's a, no, 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 it's a bad thing. It's a uh, dirty no, word. A dirty word. Nobody shall So the U.S. is a federal state, Canada is a federal state, India is a federal state, uh, Germany is a federal state. I know a lot of other federal but don't say of Europe that you want a federal state. Keep it secret, otherwise you, are, you, you have no future in European politics. And that is what we want to break, the, the, the breakthrough we want. You have today Eurosceptics, and then you have these uh, uh, pro-Europeans uh, who, are, who, who are saying, yeah, uh, soft pro-Europeans, you know that? And soft pro-Europeans are pro-Europeans who are saying, yeah, Europe is not so bad. Yeah, it's not, it's not, the bad, it's not ideal, but it's not so bad. It, it gives us peace for 50 years, so... Uh, let, let continue with this, uh, with this. Well, I think it's not enough to say to the people, and certainly not to the young people, that it is a peace project. They didn't know what the war is, so they don't know what peace is. And so they don't know what the peace project uh, is, 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 is useful for. So what we need is to tell them how it can be uh, a positive thing for their own destiny in the future and their own lives in the future how we can regain sovereignty by developing, in fact, uh, this, uh, uh, this uh, federal union. And then finally, my point about uh, Euroscepticism. Uh, um, I, I, I think that many of people who are today uh, critical about Europe, we can convert them in, in, in people who believe in Europe. But for that, they need examples, leaders who are telling that and who are repeating that. I'm always thinking that uh, uh, what we see now is a democracy where political leaders on the continent, not only in Britain, but on the continent certainly also, are simply following the public opinion. Followers, they are. And they think, oh, public opinion is going that direction. Let's say that the multicultural society is a failure. Yeah, you know, Cameron did it, Sarkozy did it, America. How can a society be a failure? They can be a failure, but the society cannot be a failure. Politics can be a failure, but not society as a failure. So, my, my point is, what we need now is a real democracy. In a democracy, it's very simple. You have political leaders. They develop a vision. And they try to convince the public opinion about that. And they can win, they can be successful, then they win the elections. They can fail, then they lose the elections. I did both already, so don't... Uh, <laughs> so uh, my point is that we need now political leaders who are, have a vision for this continent. A vision in, 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 in a world which is completely different than the world uh, of, the, of the 90th of the 20th century. A globalized world. And that can only be a, a, a federal uh, approach. But if you don't have these political leaders, then you don't have also a public opinion who is in favor of that. I believe very much that it are leaders who create public opinions and not the opposite.
we'll take, I'm going to take two more questions and then we have to wrap it up so we can have some time for book signings. We'll take one over here, first of all, and we'll take one more from upstairs. Hi, my name is Mireille and I'm a research student here at the European Institute. And my question is uh, on welfare state. So you, you've been talking about Europe as us. And I agree in many aspects, but maybe when it comes to welfare state, um, I would say there's um, significant differences in, uh, among countries in expenditure services, uh, which maybe are a result of um, different preferences. Uh, and so in your idea of the welfare state, uh, what are the implications for, uh, sorry, in your idea of the federal state, what are the implications for welfare state? Uh, do you envisage um, harmonized welfare state um, or keep it at a national level or maybe uh, something in between? Thanks. And a final question up here. Hi, I'm an LSC student. That's the third time that I see your uh, vivid talk. The first two times were in Greece, uh, in Athens, where you were proclaimed uh, professor, honorly. And uh, I can't really get bored of what you're saying. You are always interesting. Um, my question has to do with uh, Mr. Ressler, the vice president of Germany, who is going to come here in some days. And he will probably try to convince us that uh, TINA is a necessity, there is no alternative, uh, austerity measures. What? I did not say TINA. TINA, there is no alternative. Ah, okay, yes. sorry. <laughs> I thought it was your girlfriend. <laughs> An old-fashioned, uh, she's, she's a rather, rather old-fashioned girl. So, that austerity measures is the only solution, and that uh, just German taxpayers should not pay for the irresponsible pigs. So, what's your answer to Mr. Ressler? What's your leading strategy for German taxpayers, Greek employees, and all the European citizens? And in this point, I'd like to thank you for your whole support and your solidarity to Greece, not as a Greek citizen, but as a European citizen. And uh, finally, just a simple question. We you were really inspiring as Danny the Red. You were renewing as Danny the Greek. What's your next color? What's the color of uh, European federalism? Danny, first. Guy first. Guy first, then Danny to finish. Well, uh, maybe uh, the question was for Danny, so he shall respond on, 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 uh, on, on the Greek issue. But I, I want to say, you say German taxpayers, how to convince them. But the problem is that German taxpayers are paying the bill now with the way the leaders are tackling the problem. Uh, they, they're tackling the problem with a, a rescue fund, temporary rescue fund, EFSF, with the permanent rescue fund, uh, the, the, the ESM, uh, with special programs uh, for uh, a number of countries. And, yeah, that, you, you need money for that. And that's the money of the, the German taxpayer. But we think that you can better tackle this crisis by structural solutions, for example, mutualizing debt, creating a redemption fund, so that you don't need taxpayers' money to lower interest rates, what we are doing now, but uh, that you lower interest rates as such that bondholders and financial institutions merely outside Europe are receiving less of these interest rates who are prohibitive for the moment. 
that's the way forward. Uh, and, and not uh, in any way, I, I think the, the, the baddest thing uh, for Greece uh, should be uh, an exit of, uh, of, of, of the euro. Because what shall happen then is, uh, again, a national currency, a devaluation of that national currency, and a devaluation of a national currency is clearly what is a loss of purchasing power for all the Greeks at that uh, moment. And, and so that's uh, not the way forward. The way forward is... Uh, uh, in fact, reforms, real reforms in Greece, and at the same time, more solidarity from our side. More solidarity so that we can tackle the crisis there. And then on the first question, the question was, what is now this federal state shall use as method? Uh, today what we have is a is loose coordination on economic matters and the stability pact and the, 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 the Lisbon strategy and the 2020 strategy is merely coordination. We coordinate the different economies in, in, in Europe and it failed uh, because since the introduction of the euro and this coordination policy, the coordination of these policies, we have seen uh, a, 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 a split between uh, a, an economy like the German economy and another economy uh, like, for example, uh, Greece. And why? Because it was a, yeah, a very soft, uh, not binding uh, 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 policy. Uh, the, the, I'm always saying that uh, uh, Lisbon strategy is about uh, best practices, uh, benchmarking, uh, peer review, uh, all these, uh, all, all policies were in fact not binding and they are only producing documents. It's the only thing what I have seen in this Lisbon strategy and the Euro uh, 2020 strategy. Producing documents, 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 and you have one bad moment when such a document, as Prime Minister, when such a document is uh, published. Then you have to go to your parliament and explain why you were in the ranking uh, uh, two places uh, lower than, than the previous year. But not more than that. It is a complete failure these soft coordination methods, these benchmarking and peer review. What we need is not harmonization at the other side, because that's the other uh, uh, possibility. Harmonization where you say, okay, uh, we need all the same fiscal policies in Europe, the same pension system in Europe, the same health services in Europe. That doesn't work because diversity is so different in, uh, in, in the Union and, and because the traditions are, uh, are different. What, what we need is what we call, converge in the, in the book, convergence policy. Convergence means that on the European level we define the, the framework, uh, the uh, uh, the framework in which every economy, every uh, uh, economy of every country has to develop itself. It's like, a little bit like a motorway. Look at a motorway and you have a, a, the, the, a left side and a right side. The left side is avoid social... Watch it, watch it, you are here. You have to see a right side and a uh, left yeah, yeah, side. Okay, yes. but that's, the, yeah, that's because <laughs> I'm a liberal. So, that's, uh, the, so you have the, a left side and a right side. The left side is to avoid social dumping and the right side is to guarantee competitiveness. And, F, and with minimum and maximum values. Uh, for, we, we shall not ask to the Dutch, for example, we have the best pension system in Europe to, to, to adopt the, the, the German pension system. Maybe it, could, it is Bismarck who invented uh, the pension system. It was very easy because at that time people lived 40, 40, 40, 40 years, they were dead. So he could, there, there was no problem with, uh, uh, with the financial sustainability of such a system at that moment. But today it's, it's completely, well, the, the, the German system is a bad system if you compare it with the Dutch. The Dutch can guarantee 62% of the large wage as a pension. In Germany, it's only a little bit more than 40%. Uh, uh, percent. So they are not a benchmark there. 
uh, Germany. The Dutch are uh, a benchmark there. So the idea of convergence policy is to say to the different, uh, you have to reform yourself, or your pension system, you have to be sustainable, you have to be also to guarantee a minimum pension of your last wa wage. So also in convergence policy, there shall be social policies. I don't believe in a European Union, in a federal union, that can say nothing about uh, uh, social policy, who can only talk about uh, economics and, and, and fiscal policy. It's also necessary to introduce benchmarks uh, on social policies to avoid the problems that we have uh, as we have today in Europe. So convergence is the, the way forward, not harmonize things in, uh, where, where we do every, uh, everything on the same level in every country and certainly not the uh, loose confederation, uh, coordination that we have now. Thank you. Um, well, on the, on the welfare state, I, I, I think that um, a federal state is on one side what Guy has said, you have a convergence, you have a benchmark with a social minimum and this will be a battle where the benchmarks are, but on the other side, a federal state is responsible if a country like Greece can't tackle the minimum of the benchmark that then the federal state must intervene to guarantee this benchmark. So, because if not, it can't function. So, of course, you know, the nation state, the nation state has, what is a nation state today? You have a nation state because it can provide you in education, protection, social protection, protection against aggression, from outside, this is more or less, uh, if you want, uh, uh, why you need a, fa uh, 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 a nation state. And now uh, we see that this, a nation state can't do it anymore. So a federal state might provide that you have, a, uh, uh, if you have a state education system, but also you need a convergence because more and more people want not want to, to go to school and study only in one, uh, in one country. But you go all over Europe, you know, and, and for this I want to say the, the, the really you see the madness of the intergovernmental system. Now it's one of the best practice in Europe was Erasmus program, you know, they want to kill it, you know, they want to kill it because they say we don't want to give any more money, you know. So this is the, the hypocrisy of the politicians today, you know, on Sunday. They don't go to the church, but they go to some, I don't know what, to make big speech about uh, Erasmus, how beautiful it is, young European people going away, and then we propose Erasmus for everybody, not only for students, also for apprentices. You know, all, every young people should have the possibility to go and to work or to study somewhere in Europe at the minimum in one year. And I think we are a rich region, yet we should guarantee that more and more young people go through Europe, you know. So, uh, we have to guarantee benchmark for a welfare state. D is right. Every uh, state can organize what they want, and then we have to match the situation when it. So, uh, the same is, uh, because, uh, I want to take this because the question was not asked, but I want to give the response on this, you know. <laughs> it's, yes, on the ecological benchmark. You know, because what one of the, you, you talk, he, he talks, I don't know who it was about the carbon tax, you know, you talks about the universal carbon tax, yeah. We have to uh, go farther than only 20% reduction of CO2. We, go, we have to go to 30% of CO2 in the European level. It doesn't help if one country only would do it. Only if Europe is going really in, in, in the lead of this, we could have an influence that also in the international 
in the international negotiation we could uh, speed up. Now, my friend Rusler, and I think that this Gee could have answered this because this is his biggest problem, you know, because uh, I don't want to make party politics, we make this book together, but Rusler is also on the other group, is member of his liberal group, you know. He could do the same. I have also a lot of... In Berlin, eh? Not in Berlin, uh, yes. But uh, uh, he has some influence also of liberal politics of European level. Uh, I think... Uh, I, I have a lot of problem with Greens, too. You could uh, give the other on this. It's not... Uh, so I think on one side, he gave the answer of the text, German tax player. I think now at the moment... The Rössler is uh, the is demonstrating how devastating you know politicians can be because they only think to follow a mood in a country to save their five percent. This is Rössler, you know. Rössler has to say, I have an election in one year. Germany is very critical for a lot of reasons that Guy have explained to the European politics. So if I go now uh, behind this mood, I can save my, uh, my political life and be re-elected in the next, Eurasian, uh, next uh, German election. This is very dangerous because, you know, if it is true, if it is true that Germany needs the euro, and I think it is true because mm -hmm. Germany is export nation, and if the euro is uh, going down, then it would be a drama for the German economy, three times more drama than the Lehman Brothers uh, crash, you know? It would be an incredible crash. So if this is true, you know, what Rössler is doing is very easy, you know, and this we have to attack is to say, I follow the mood in Germany, but I know that this mood won't be uh, the result of, of the politics, you know? So he's hiding, you know, behind the mood to get some votes, but he knows that at the end, the last minute Merkel, you know, she is the la last minute uh, uh, chancellor, you know, in the last minute, she is she, doing half the right move after doing for hours and for hours the wrong move, you know, but the mm -hmm. last minute she says, oh, uh, I can't do this, I can't do this, and then she make a little move towards mutualization. And, and, and what I, but I want to say to the Greek people, it is horrible what happens in Greek today. It is horrible for, because we have a system where if the Troika asks you have to reduce spending, you can only catch the people that you can catch, the people who have a wage. So it's state, people, state, pension, etc. You know, a teacher, I know a German teacher, she lost in, 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 in Athens, she lost in the last year half of her wage. Half of a wage. No country, none would support this, what the Greek had to support today. It is absolutely true. On the other side, the Greek must be clear that the half of the responsibility is also their own responsibility. It talked about clientelism. It talked about uh, nationalism. Greek, Greek nationalism is devastating. It's devastating today, and, and, and I, I, you know, today I'm very well accepted in Greece. It was a time where I was hated in Greece. It was the time of the war on the Balkan. 
because in the time of the war of the Balkan, and then you can have an idea what could be Europe and what is not Europe, you know? European politics is not the addition of national position. In the Balkan, when in 92, you have the beginning of the war done by uh, Milosevic. The French and the English were pro-Serbia, tradition. The German were pro-Croats, tradition. And the Bosnian Muslim had nobody. Nobody. And it was only after the killing in Sarajevo in Srebrenica, you know, that the European thing, it can't continue like that, and they developed a European position to save uh, Sarajevo and the uh, Bosnian Muslim. But at that time in Greece, you have 95% who were on the side of Milosevic. This is also part of the truth about the Greek history. So I, I, really, I will fight for the Greek in this situation, but I will fight also for the truth of Greek history. And one of the truths of Greek history is that if today Cyprus is divided, it's not because the Turks' nationalism take, took the first move. The first move was done by the Greek colonists against Makarios, and then the nationalist Turks took the second move. So, move. so we have to say to Greece, your future is in Europe, but a future in Europe is not a nationalistic Greek future. It is a European Greece that we want. We don't want a German Greece, a German Europe. We don't want a French Europe. We don't want a Greek Europe. We want a European Europe. This is our fight and not different nationalist vision of Europe. Thank you.